0: Thank you for listening to the Habits and Hustle podcast made possible by our friends at True TrueNiogen. So I've been a huge fan of True TrueNiogen for years, and I'm excited to share that I've recently began partnering with them. I literally don't miss a day taking it and think if you're only going to take one supplement, this is the one. And here's why, with, of course, a little bit of added science lesson for you. Our bodies produce a molecule called NAD, which is critical for cellular energy and repair, but the levels sadly decline as we age. A nutrient that can help increase our NAD is a form of vitamin B3 called nicotamide robicide, that's a mouthful, or otherwise known as NR. The most efficient way to get this is with a supplement like triniogen because it's the best NAD precursor. True Niagen helps support our bodies against everyday stressors that can damage our cells like overeating, drinking, or staying up too late. In my opinion, no one is too young to take it. I wish I had known about this in my early 30s because I would have been all over it. What's most amazing is that True Niagen is backed by 18 clinical trials and has the endorsements of two Nobel Prize winning scientists. Go check it out at trueniagen.com. That's trueniagen, T-R-U-N-I-A-G-N. And we have a special offer for new customers to receive 20% off orders of $100 or more using the code HUSTLE20. Definitely run, don't walk to scoop them up today. Hi guys, it's Tony Robbins. You're listening to Habits & Hustle. Crush it. Today on the podcast we have Ken Coleman. Ken is the best-selling author of the book Paycheck to Purpose and the host of the nationally syndicated radio show The Ken Coleman Show. He's also known as America's career coach. I actually tease him about that. He helps callers discover what they do best so they can do more work they love and produce the results that matter most to them. Whatever you're looking for in a, if it's a complete career change or just some tips and tricks to take you to the next level, Ken can really help you get unstuck and get on the path to really meaningful work. This is a great episode, you guys. If you are somebody who is in that situation, if you are someone who is stuck in your career, want to make a change want to make a pivot this is the episode for you enjoy we have ken colvin on the podcast today uh he is a best-selling author he's a syndicated radio host you are a career co- coach yes even though i know you don't love the term <laughs> career coach you are yeah. america's number one career coach mm. so they say yeah is that true
1: who you know how do you even measure that <laughs> i don't know, I you don't know, know. know. It's, it's the brilliant publicists come up with these things and you know, people have you on and say it, so you have to kind of own it. Yeah, and so, you just yeah. smile and say, yes, yeah, yes, just, I am. You roll with it. Right. Yeah,
0: And, of course, you're the author of the new book, of course, mm-hmm. From Paycheck to Purpose, mm-hmm. which uh, I, I was telling you before we even started, I really, really enjoyed reading it. There's a lot of practical and tactical information that people can really use with it. So, uh, well, thank you for coming on.
1: I'm thrilled to be here. Well, you do really good work, and this is going to be fun. Love well, your audience. I love what you do. We certainly have a lot of synergy, and why we get up and attack the day, absolutely. the way we do it. So this is this is this is a great privilege. Thank you.
0: Well, thank you. Why don't we start with the beginning? So, how did you become known as? America's career mm. coach. How
1: did you become yeah. that guy? Well, you know, it's funny. You become something by overcoming something else. Mm-hmm. Isn't that true? That's I mean, true. no matter what it is, any walk of life. And, and the real answer to that question is that I was a kid who was always ambitious, very focused on the future, you know, just wired that way. I think, you know, it's, it's this beautiful world we live in. We have all different types of people, and yet there's so many similarities. And I know that everybody watching and listening right now, you kind of know that person. Maybe they're that person who just always had an eye to the future, maybe more so than your friends or your siblings. And I was that kid. And I remember at the age of 16, being very clear, uh, thinking I was very clear on what I wanted to do with my life. And I wanted to go into politics for the purpose of serving people. I, I come from a world where Loving on people was very evident in my house, you know, caring for others, giving your life to others and serving. and uh, and I was fascinated with politics at the time. And so I thought, okay, this is it, this is the path. And so I got very serious about that path, chose the college, got into the major the whole nine yards, left college early, uh, well, left one semester in my sophomore year to work on a congressional race. And it was like the battle and it was amazing. And I loved it. And I was like, this is it. And ended up dropping out of college to pursue it full time to work on a U.S. Senate race. By the age of 22, I'm working for the governor of Virginia. And oh, man, yeah. yeah, right. And I'm, and it's like, I'm doing it. And yet I realized in that moment, the difference between campaigns and working in uh, elected office, the pace, you know, it's, right. not, it's, it's very different. Right. And so I'm not going to get into all that other than to say the bureaucracy sucks, campaigning for ideals, whether it's a marketing campaign, politics, whatever. There's something exciting about that. So I realized, okay, if I'm going to run for office one day, I don't like this side of things. So I need to get into business and just build some type of a leadership resume so that I'm not in kind of a a lifetime political insider. Right. So that led me to Atlanta, um, working for a leadership guru by the name of John Maxwell. Then I go out on my own, Start my own consulting agency, thinking that okay, now I'm set up to run. 33, and I realize. I Wait, hadn't. what
0: did you do with him? What was your job? What was uh, your time?
1: I was a vice president for him, and so oh, okay. I was helping develop new content. Okay. You know, so bringing in new content providers, developing new content, strategic relationships,
0: and tell people who he is. if yeah, people don't a, know
1: who he is. He's a well-known leadership guru. Twenty-one Laws of Irrefutable Leadership, uh, or Twenty-One Irrefutable Laws of Leadership, is the classic. Uh, my gosh, I bet that book's 20 some years old now. And in that leadership space, corporate leadership, he's a big deal. And so I had the opportunity to work for him. And so when I go out on my own, this is a very long story. I'm racing through it. I realized that I don't want to run for office, that I'm really kind of over it. Right. I'm disenchanted with both sides of the aisle. Like, I don't think it's really the best place for me To maximize my potential to serve and love others. But the problem is I don't know what it is. Right. So that's a very disheartening, disillusioning time in your life.
0: And I think a lot of people go through that, right? A lot of people. I think that becomes the big question. Like people don't know how to maximize their potential. They don't know what they want to do. They may have a general idea, Mm -hmm. but they don't know how to really kind of pursue it. That's it. Right? Yeah. So then how did you figure out yours? And then what do you tell people when- Because that's, I'm sure, a really yeah. popular question.
1: Yeah, it's really the heart of my methodology. So I'm in this place. I've got three little kids under the age of three. I'm on my own, and I'm miserable. I don't even want to work for myself. Right. Like, I don't even <laughs> want to, you know, that's bad. Yeah. And, and so I uh, began to connect with some life coaches that I had relationships with. And they gave me some basic exercises and constructs. But the short answer is, I spent about a six-month period of really getting to know myself. You know, really diving in, looking at my backstory. Mm -hmm. You know, I've got 33 years of history to look into and go, okay, what is it that is unique to me and unique to my story? In other words, experience to get some patterns to kind of go, okay, are there some threads or patterns? And uh, long story short, got to a place where I realized that just because I'd been disenchanted with politics, Um, didn't mean that I wasn't headed the right direction this whole time. See, herein lies one of the big myths that I'd love to bust for people, that there's only one dream job.
0: See, that's a total
1: myth. There are numerous, maybe innumerable amount of dream jobs.
0: That's an interesting thing to say.
1: Yeah. if, If you classify it with this, if you're using what you do best, that's your talent, to do work you love, that's passion, to produce results that matter to you, that's mission. So you're on purpose if you use what you do best to do work you love to produce results that matter. So therein lies the freedom to be able to say, and to be able to find multiple dream jobs. See the dream jobs. People, say, how do you define the dream job? And it's a hard thing for people to answer. I say, well, you're spending seventy five percent or more of your day using what you do best to do work you love to produce results that matter. See, talent enough is not enough for fulfillment. It's just not right. Um, I think of some of the greats like Andre Agassi, Agassi. You know, you've read his book Open. It's unbelievable. This guy's one of the greatest tennis players of all time, but he. He was very talented at it, but he hated it. Right. It's not crazy. It's nuts. Yeah. But Wall Street's littered with men and women that are wildly talented, but are committing suicide. Totally. So that speaks to talent is not enough. That the, there's a three part formula. Everybody has it. You know, everybody has those essentials, talent, hard skills, soft skills, passion. Your, your heart races. You long to do this work, you know, and then when you get in the middle of this work, time stops. Right, right. Famed psychologist Mihai Cheek sent me a TED talk on this called Flow. And he considers this the same as ecstasy. Mm-hmm. You know, ecstasy for people is, is sexual in nature or romantic right. in nature, but it's not. It's actually a state, uh, a yeah. mental state that is brought on. And, and so he called it Flow. And, and so I would submit to you that when you use what you do best to do work you love to produce results that matter, even in the hard days, the long days, the days of tremendous failure and rejection, you don't burn out. You can't burn out.
0: Well, then I, I agree. I, I like that you say that. I like that you say there's more than one dream job. It's like, absolutely. All, just how, you know, I think there's more than one soulmate for people. I agree. You know, I don't think there's love just, is a choice. hundred percent. And I don't think, I think that depending also where you are in your life or what you choose to focus on and da, da da there's a lot of different things, but okay. So let's say that. So like, I agree. And I also agree about this whole talent thing. However, what if you, what's the, the the other, the problem is, or I would say the, the issue would be, okay, so you have talent. How do you, how do you match a purpose with a talent? What if your purpose is not the same as your talent? You know what I mean? Well, it's not. And and there is, it's not. And there's also an intersection. I think you've even said this in your book, the intersection between uh, you know, that you don't really want to be doing something and what to do. What's that thing that you say? I think you said like not knowing what to do and not being happy.
1: Yeah. Right? Well, yeah. So the reality is, is that we all have purpose in two major areas, relationship purpose. Right. And professional purpose. So when you begin to go, wait a second, I am uniquely made. All right. So even the atheist, yeah, forget. Yeah. Let's just for a moment go, okay. Do we all think we have talent? And the answer is yes. Everybody has some type of talent. You just do. Right. Now you shape that talent through practice and education into a sharpened skill. All right. So talent is just, think of talent as a premium tool, right? I'm not a very handy person. I'm a disaster, honestly. But I love yard work. And all my yard work, it's very therapeutic (laughs) for me, but I use power tools, power blower. I don't want to use a rake. (laughs) <laughs> I want to use a blower, right? Yeah. Um, you know, I don't want to do these things. I want the, you know, that's really fun, right? So you think of talent as it allows me to be efficient and excellent. I'm still doing the same work, but instead of this, you know, that's efficiency and excellence. Yeah. So we got to look at a talent as talent is just a tool, and so therein goes the the formula. Okay, now talent allows me to do certain type of work. Is there work that I love? The answer is unequivocally yes. But then the last piece is that mission piece. But see, talent plus passion plus mission, when they're in alignment, that is purpose. Because now you go, because purpose answers the question, why? Right. We, We sometimes make purpose this big, scary, hairy thing. I think that's what happens. And that's why I've broken it down into talent plus passion plus mission. Guess what? You're on purpose. So for instance, if I wasn't doing what I'm doing now, I'd probably be a high school or college basketball coach. Is it on purpose? Yes. Is it really different than writing books and and being on radio and television and speaking in front of large groups, interviewing well-known people? Is it very different? Yes. But is it in alignment? The answer is, would it allow me to use what I do best, communicating, Mm -hmm. discerning, encouraging? Yes. Check. Does it allow me to do work I love? Yes. Teaching, coaching, instructing, motivating? Check. Does it produce results that matter to me? Yeah, I would be pouring into the lives of young men, not just teaching the game of basketball, but pouring into their lives and teaching them personal growth, th- disciplines, teaching them how to deal with failure and rejection, heartbreak, all through the game of basketball, check. So that's an example of, you know, if I don't want to be a teacher, right? How, what do I do? And I get those calls every day. You've heard them on the show. Teachers are calling me like crazy right now. They're right. burned out and they're going, what do I do? Well, they haven't lost their love of instruction. That's passion. That's a type of work. So they could get into corporate training. It's right. instruction.
0: It's also called, isn't it really called transferable skills too, right? 100%. You can take those things and apply it to yes. something else. So that's, it's, it. that's really what it is. So what is some, what's the, okay, my first question, I guess, to you is this, is that the first, is that, it? not my first question to you, is that the first question you normally get on your show? Like, I don't know what to do yeah, or it's the, I'm probably miserable the most, in my, in yeah. my job. What's most the first? popular
1: one is, I'm I'm not happy but I'm not sure what is the right thing for me to do. And that's why I developed the talent plus passion plus mission. And right. created an assessment called the Get Clear Career Assessment. It's not personality-based. It's And and, and I, I'm a big fan of Gallup. Uh, they, they came out with Strength Finders many years ago, probably the most well-known, but it's only focusing on what I believe is one-third of the equation. Talent is not enough for fulfillment. Yeah. It's just not. Because we as human beings long to make a difference in the lives of others. And that's the mission piece. And then we as human beings like to do things we're good at. I mean, how many people watching and listening right now enjoy doing things they suck at?
0: Well, 100%. Like, I, we, I talk with this all the time. Like, that's why, like, even at the gym, I'm going to use, like, an analogy yes. simple. Like, you know, I train the parts that I like to train. And if I'm not, if I'm not good at it, then right. I just don't bother with it. So, you get dominant on one thing and you get weaker and weaker on the other things. That's
1: it. But you ignore the weaknesses. I, you ignore
0: them because I don't want to focus on it.
1: Fantastic philosophy. And, and
0: does it most people, I, don't, I think most people would do the same thing. So, are you saying to people, then... If you have a weakness, you should work on that weakness. No,
1: I think you should be aware of it and then mitigate for it. Okay. Okay. that's Two steps because here's what's interesting. You just nailed it. Um, The human condition longs to do things that we're good at. Yeah. But our Western hemisphere education philosophy teaches us the, the opposite. Yeah. So our children and us. And I'm not anti-education, so don't freak out. you got to listen to what I'm saying here. What I'm saying is, is our education system in the West is based on improving upon weaknesses. Mm -hmm. And yet, if you talk to any successful woman or man, they largely have never done that. They went, why would I do that? Right. You lean in on your strengths. Yes. So we need to be aware of our weaknesses. That's huge. Mm Self-awareness is the superpower to success. But then we mitigate for it. So I'll pick on myself. Um, I'm a very creative, fast thinker. Um, I love new. I'm a world-class starter, but I am an awful finisher, Mm -hmm. which is consistent with a lot of personality types like mine. Well, I don't need to bust my tail to get really great at finishing because it's a losing proposition. Let's just have a fun, silly example. Rate talents one to 10. Okay, when it comes to organizational, administrative, and detail minutia, I'm a two. Uh, you're
0: you're, glad, you're you're that's at least you're a two. I'm like a negative. Right, maybe ten. I. am. But if you and I <laughs> yeah
1: get really serious, we start taking all these courses on administrative skills, and we bust it. The most we're going to improve is two to three slots. So all of a sudden, let's just say I was is being, that a stat really? No, but oh, I'm, okay. I'm, this is common sense. Okay. But think about yeah, it. I, I, like how much are you really gonna improve in an area to the of you converted. I, I yes, agree I with this. But people need to hear this. I'm not saying you have a talent and you have lack of experience and you can make that talent. I'm talking, you have no talent, mm-hmm. low talent. So then I become average or below average? Who pays for average? <laughs> like, do you ever go to your husband and go, hey, let's go on an average vacation. <laughs> and while we're there, let's go to an average restaurant and let's do average things. This is, this is nonsense. And I'm being silly for a moment to grab people's attention because you'd be surprised at how many people that I deal with, they don't realize this and they won't let go of the weaknesses and be free to go, I'm going to l- get really aware of where I'm strong. Not just in talent, but my heart. Right. What work do I long to do? I get excited thinking about it. For me, for you, like I get excited about my show every day. I could be really sick, feel terrible, and I get in that studio and the lights come on, and that intro music comes on, I'm alive. Right, right, right. You know, I could have a really rough week, I could, my personal life could be in shambles, I'm, I'm raising teens. But you get me up in front of a stage and there are people I know that I got a chance to influence them, the juice arrives. Right, 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 you right. You can't right. manufacture that. By the way, that's not motivation. You can't fake motivation. I agree, what is it then if it's not motivation? It's passion. It's mission, passion and mission, those last two pieces. So when I love the work, and I see that the work is creating or producing a result that aligns with my values. Right. I have the juice. I'm motivated. It's called intrinsic motivation for all the parents out there. Extrinsic motivation is if you don't clean your room, you don't get to get to go out with your friends tonight. So the kid cleans the room. They didn't clean the room because they wanted to. They clean the room because of an external motivator. Okay. Intrinsic motivation is you getting in that room over there. I just saw folks. She's got this, like, it's like, LA fitness over there in this room. <laughs> so you get up and work out because you want to. That's intrinsic motivation because there's a result physically, mentally, emotionally that Absol- you get out of exercise. Absolutely.
0: Now this is I keep on going back to this. How does somebody find that intrinsic motivation? Um that sustain, that's that has longevity to it. Yeah. Cause I, I'm a big believer that I don't believe in motivation. Yeah. I think it's a nonsensical yeah, word. Totally. Cause you can go to like even a Tony Robbins seminar yeah. and be woo woo motivated yeah. for like a week later. And then you get
1: back to real life. And then you get
0: back to reality <sighs> and it's a, a huge dip. Yes. It's, you have to find that passion. Yeah. Um, what, how do you tell people? Yeah,
1: there's three questions okay. that fall into now that everybody's understood the construct. Right. So, passion and mission is where we get the clues. Mm-hmm. All right. So, you ask these three questions Who are the people I most want to help? And I want you to visualize the people. I mean, get quiet. Visualize who are the people I most want to help? Interestingly enough, all those confused callers on the Ken Coleman show, I always set them up. I always go, oh, I think you do know. Oh, no, I, can't. I really don't know. I need your help. I go, okay, give me an idea. Give me an idea that you've had recently. And they'll always say, I just want to help people. And I just laugh and say, well, welcome to the human race. So I get into who are the people you want to help. Now we begin to turn their brain off, that amygdala mm-hmm. that's kind of freaking out, fight or flight, and they're in a panic mode trying to figure out what they're going to do. And we engage the heart. So I want to turn the brain off and get into the heart. And the heart answers the question, these three questions. Who are the people I most want to help? Visualize them. Second question goes deeper. What is the problem they have or the desire they have? Problem or desire? It's one of the two. There are no other options. Third question, what are the solutions, or maybe it's a singular solution, to that problem or desire that you want to provide? So I'll repeat it again because now we begin to get, this is where the ideas come from. People I want to help, problem or desire they have, solution that you want to provide i remember getting a phone call from a lady on the show about a year ago i write about it in the book and uh, she was very very successful in sales i believe and she's killing it but she's just like i have no fulfillment ken but i i I definitely have no ideas help me so we started walking through this whole thing she couldn't get it i finally said people you want to help and she went well i want to help women who uh are overweight and physically unhealthy and i said why and she immediately, I could hear her voice change. She went, well, I recently lost 80 pounds and it can it changed my life. Like every facet of my life changed. And I said, so you want to help other women make that change or avoid what you went through? She said, yes, that's it. You just nailed it. I said, I didn't nail it. You're the one that filled in the blank. I walked her through people she wants to help. These were women. But why? Because she's a woman, she walked through tremendous transformation and a lot of pain in that transformation. Mm -hmm. And so out of pain comes tremendous passion many times. It's a tremendous clue to maybe the kind of work we wanna do. So when we began to look at that, so what did she do? So we walked her through it. I said, okay, so what are the solutions? She goes, nutrition and exercise. I said, great. Does your heart lean more towards nutrition or exercise or both? She was like, well, kind of both, but I think it's more the, the exercise piece and nutrition's kind of the, and I was like, great. So what are three or four jobs? And she did. And so now she's like, Bing, walking around with tremendous clarity. Right, right, now right. Now watch right. the transformation that happens. When a person gets clear, Jennifer, they get confident. And when a person is confident, they will have the courage in the moments of life to step out or stay on the path. So the reason I teach that talent passion mission and ask questions like who are the people I want to help? Problem I want to solve. Problem they have that I want to solve. Solution. There are there are business ideas there. There are job and career paths in those three simple questions. And on the other side of that is clarity. And clarity always leads to confidence and confidence leads to courage. But absent of absence of clarity, you will never have the confidence. To get off the bleachers of life and get in the game.
0: I love that. So the
1: first step
0: to kind of figuring out what you want to, or for people to figure out what their best job is or yeah. what their best direction in life is, right. is to get clarity first. That's yes. the superpower.
1: Absolutely. What am I good at? What do I love to do? What results do I want to produce?
0: And that, I love what you said clarity leads to confidence yes. and confidence leads to courage. courage. That's a really, you should, you should make like a bumper sticker that yeah. says that.
1: Well, we write about it in the book and I, I, I'll, I'll just drive this home for folks. All of us have read or seen a story of a real life person Doing something heroic to save the life of another. Mm-hmm. And if you and if I want the audience just kind of walk through this with me very quickly, I want you to remember back on the story. At some point they were interviewed mm-hmm. and the question was, what made you decide to put your own life at risk in this moment? And the answer is always basically I came up on the scene. Let's say it's a fiery car. No one else was around. I felt like I could get them out. I felt like I needed to get them out. And before I knew it, I was inside the car pulling them out. It just happened. It sounds about right.
0: Yeah. Okay. Yeah, 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 definitely.
1: What just happened? Clarity. They come up on the scene, very clear. Someone's life is at risk and danger if someone doesn't act. Confidence. I think I can do it. And before they know it, courage takes over. So this idea that I can be courageous when I need it is much like this. I can motivate myself. I got to tell you, I'm not trying to pop anybody's bubble. I'm a very positive person, but I'm positive that that's garbage. (laughs) Okay? It's garbage thinking. Because you cannot summon courage absent of clarity and confidence. That's where courage comes from. We go, it goes from I should act to I must act. Well, then what, what holds people back? clarity confusion you know think about how debilitating confusion is and a, a lack of clarity it's like being in a car you know i'm, a, I'm from the south yeah yeah so man we get we drive through rainstorms and through mountains and fog and if you've ever gotten into thick fog or thick rain where you can't see past the hood of your car what do you do stop man we're pulling over we're not moving forward that's debilitating it's horrifying the so- fear of the unknown is the greatest fear we face
0: the fear of hundred percent. So I think sometimes there's a step before clarity, right? Cause I think once you get to the clarity spot, that's right. then you're on your way, right? Mm-hmm. You're on a path, mm-hmm. but people get stuck yes. before they get to that place, yeah. right? They do. So then what? what is that? Why do they get stuck? Is mm. it because they're the, the fear factor?
1: It's one of them. I write about these three enemies in the book. I call them the enemies of progress, fear, doubt, and pride. They, I mean, those nasty boogers, I'm telling you, and by the way, before I break these down, I want to say this first. There's this notion that you can remove fear and doubt and pride, and again, that's bad motivational stuff that you're seeing on Instagram run from it. It's garbage. It's going gonna, it's gonna to lay you out. Um, fear, doubt, and pride are never gone, but you can overcome them. You don't remove them. You overcome them. But I would also tell folks that fear and doubt specifically are great signs A lot of people think of fear and doubt as negative, and they can be, and I'll break them down. But fear and doubt only present themselves to people that are moving forward. The people that are sitting on the bleachers of life, elbow deep in the popcorn bag, (laughs) right? You know what I'm talking about? Watching everybody else play. They don't experience fear and doubt because they're passive. They are spectators. Men and women that are moving forward in life it's a sign that you're moving forward or desire to move forward. Okay, quick breakdown of fear, doubt, and pride. I won't spend time on all of them. The number one fear is the fear of the unknown. It's terrifying.
0: Sorry. No
1: keep <laughs> Thank rolling. you, rolling. Uh, fear of the unknown is, I think, the greatest fear. We talked about that. It, it, is, it is paralyzing. So let's not overthink this fear. What do we not know? Let's dive into it. What are we afraid? What are we afraid of? Well, I'm afraid that if I pursue this and I leave this career at the age of 42 and I go here, that I'm going to be homeless, starving under a bridge. Let's just call it out. Okay. That's fine. I'm not making fun of it. And
0: by the way, it doesn't even have to be that extreme. It doesn't. It could just be like, well, if it doesn't work out, then what? Right. Right, Let's
1: own it. Yeah. Let's get the fear out of our head. And I like, I tell people to write the fear down. It's a powerful psychological experiment. Data proves this. Uh, let's get it out. And then let's just put it on the witness stand like those cheesy, you know, crime dramas. Let's put it on the stand. Is fear protecting me or is it holding me back? Because sometimes fear is protecting us. And other times it's holding me back. So I got to find out is fear telling me the truth? Mm-hmm. So we go the fear of the unknown. So we go, what's the what must be true for this fear to come true, right? That's how we kind of play with that one. Right. Uh, fear of failure. Let's play the failure out. What's the worst possible result that could happen if I don't have some calculated risk? Right. Come on, folks. Let's walk through this. Then we're going to say, okay, it's, I'm not going to go bankrupt and whatever. And then there's fear of peers. It's a big one. What are other people going to say? I got this really great job, great benefits. We got the, the country club membership. We got the second home on the beach. People get all hung up on this. I get it. Um, those are big. Doubt is a little different. Doubt is I don't have enough time. I don't have enough money. I don't have enough talent. Interesting that fear and doubt are nasty little cousins. Let me tell folks the difference between the two.
0: I was going to say, what is the difference? I feel they're they're like sisters.
1: They are, but they're very different. So fear is I am, let's use the word worried for this exercise. I'm worried about what could happen to me. Doubt is I'm worried that what I want to happen won't happen. So one is fear is I'm something negative happens to me. Doubt is something good won't happen. That's the difference. Very big difference, and they love to hang out together. Uh, William James is considered by many to be the the uh, father of modern psychology and he once said this is powerful. No matter how absurd something is, if it is repeated often enough, people will believe it. No matter how absurd something is, if it is repeated often enough, people will believe. It. Now we've seen that through history. We've seen dictators brainwash. We've seen religious leaders brainwash people. It's powerful. It's yeah, true. It's absolutely but true. But let's talk about the voice we. Let's talk about the person we listen to most. Ourselves. Me. And so, if I've got a, an absurd thought in my head and I don't get it out on paper and I don't put it on trial, that sucker is just going to hang out like roller skating night back in the eighties and it skates around in our head. And all of a sudden what is absurd initially becomes safe, becomes a reality. Yeah. And we make excuses for it. I can't tell you how many dudes I've had to get in their face. Cause I can do this with dudes. Yeah. 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 Bro, you're, you're a little boy and it's okay. But like, you've you've created this absurdity and you're not being the man that you're supposed to be, the the person, the human you're supposed to be because of the excuse of providing for your family. You're going to provide for your family or whatever. And I hear this a lot with guys. They won't step out because, well, they've created a safety excuse. Well, the safe thing is just keep letting my soul slowly seep out of my body. And as a result, I'm dragging that home with me and I'm a worse spouse. I'm a worse dad. I'm a worse friend. See, that's the reality of this Mm -hmm. stuff. I mean, it's a clarion call for me um, to men and women to say, hey, you can't separate your work life and your personal life. You just can't. Because if you're not doing something that fires your soul up at work, it is eventually going to work its way into your personal life.
0: Right. How does it not? Right.
1: It's impossible.
0: But that's more also, you just described, feels like it's a reinventing of yourself, right? Like, I think that's a big area, right? Sure. People who, there's two things, right? It's like finding your purpose yep. and finding your quote unquote dream job or what's right for you. Sure. Then it's like the next step or the or of that is how do you reinvent yourself? If you've been doing the same job or doing something that feels safe yeah. and is safe. Yeah you know, day in and day out. And, you know, I feel like COVID also did a, did oh, a number with this, right? Tremendous. Right. And now everybody feels like they don't want to waste their life or they feel like, ah, that screw that. I'm not going back to the office. Yeah. It's reinvention time.
1: Yeah. I love that point. You know what I would do? I would come back to those three little questions that I gave yeah, earlier.
0: It's the same thing. Who
1: are some new people I want to help? What problem <laughs> do they have? It's the same thing. Same exercise, But it is; it can absolutely be in a different lane.
0: And well, I think what, and I'm going to use myself as an example here, just for the for this thing. But people get pigeonholed a lot, right? If you are exceptionally known in one space, right? right? Like I I I've written a bunch of fitness books. Mm -hmm. Um, People uh, only see you in that one area, Mm -hmm. even though people don't see the 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 back end, right? right? They only see the front facing stuff. People don't think, oh, if she she can be a good fitness person and a good business person that's and a right. good it's everyone gets very marginalized that's right, that's right. how would you tell how, do you have advice for people to rein, for that reinvention mm-hmm. um and not getting caught up in that and that getting pigeonholed
1: yeah I, and well, to pivot i mean yeah. really
0: it's about pivoting at this time
1: yeah i love that first of all let's just stop worrying about what everybody thinks right I mean, you but know. it's not
0: about what you worry about. It's what people's Like if people, it's psychology, right? Oh yeah. People look at you as the career guy. Let's yeah. just make that you're the career coach. Sure, sure. Right, and all of a sudden you want to be, yeah. I don't know, make it. You know, you want to be a fashion designer. Sure. Okay. Right. Totally 180 or right. whatever. Yeah. Um, even though you know that you're not that person, and right. you, could, you, or you, you can be, you could be, yeah. you could be a multitude of things. Yeah. It's other people's perception that won't That's even right. give you that opportunity. That's
1: right. Yes. And, and and that is fair if we allow them to hold those keys. So how do you so, how do you not? Yeah. Them? So what you do is you go, wait a second. Do I have the talent to make this pivot? Let's go back to talent, passion, mission. I, I want to know, do I have the talent to do it? So let's make something up. Let's say that, and by the way, I speak on leadership as well. You know, So I'll give a leadership talk in May to 6,000 leaders, but you got to bring it. So part of this answer mm-hmm. is I'm going to get to this, but like you got to have something that when you bring it, it doesn't matter what everybody else says because the marketplace goes, that's legitimate. Mm-hmm. So that's that's kind of the overarching answer. But the way we do that is we go, okay, wait a second. Uh, you and I were talking, we love uh, vintage shoes. I'm a child of the 80s. Um, you know, I, you know, the team always gives me a fun, hard time. I care about clothes, you know, more than probably the average dude. I just do. I, I care. You dress well. Thank you very much. And so if I were to design a pair of shoes, which I could see myself doing, if I ever had the time and interest, in, Crazy
0: I said fashion designer then. Well, I'm going with your example. I would <laughs> no, never I be know. a true
1: fashion designer, but, I, but I, I could design shoes. I right. would enjoy that. Okay. So what do I have to do to kind of overcome this for 20 years? You've been this. Well, first thing is, is I'm going to. Try it and test it, and see do I have the talent to pull it off? I'm not gonna make this giant jump. I remember interviewing Jack Dorsey, co-founder of Twitter years ago and uh, and Jack said something so brilliant. He didn't set out to, to start Twitter. He set out to try to create the best grid in San Francisco for getting somewhere. How do you get from here to here to here? That's how he started it. And then it, well, one thing led to another and he tested it. He was super passionate about this and he tested it with all his good friends and family members who were telling the truth. And they were like, dude, it's really great, but nobody wants that. <laughs> okay, so there's this idea of testing is my point. So I'm going to design a couple pairs of shoes, just a couple. And I'm going to see do I have the chops? Can I do this to the point where we go, yes, I would pay for that. I mean, at the end of the day, that's the ultimate, that's the ultimate point where Mm -hmm. we go, will a consumer trade you a certificate of appreciation, otherwise known as a dollar Mm -hmm. bill, right? That's the deal. It's a great Jewish rabbi friend of mine, rabbi Daniel Appen, who says that he says, he says the, the audience, the customer will, will tell you if you're good, by certificates of appreciation. <laughs> and he calls it the dollar. It's wonderful. That's so cute. Yeah. yeah, he's great. He's a genius. So anyway, um, I, I think you test first. And you go, okay, are any, is anybody jiving on this? Or are, they, are they down with this? Okay. Right. All right, now we go, all right. Now I know I can do it. So now I'm going to actually do it. I've tested. Now I'm going to put myself out there. This is where courage comes in. I'm I'm clear. I'm confident. And now I'm courageous enough to put this stuff out there. And I'm going to tell everybody in my audience, Hey, you know me as this. I really like designing shoes. I've been putzing around for about six to eight months on this. Here's my first shoe. And I've got this. I'm putting it out there. And uh, I, I think it's really good. I think you'll like it. Go check my shoe out. And so you begin to put yourself out there and it's just like anything else. The pivot happens because of the courage to actually do it. And so people go, Oh, But they go, oh, they don't go, oh, well, Ken's only an expert over here. There's no way I'm going to look at his shoe. They're going to look at my shoe and they're going to go, huh, I like it. I'm not going to buy it, but I like it. Or "Eh, it doesn't do anything for me or I love it. And now I'm playing to the people that love it. And I'm trying to win over the people that go, huh, it's nice. I'm not ready to buy it now.
0: So, right. So you kind of do proof of concept, basically. Yes. And then you ask people who are close to you what their true real yeah you gotta have great is. feedback
1: and then go test it with real people too and so that's that point in the story where i'm gonna put it out on my instagram feed right
0: yeah
1: i run a thousand people i'm gonna go hey i'm uh doing this right now it's a little side hustle you you're, hey my shoe is for sale we'll go find out real quick what people now instagram think. by the way And social media is not a wonderful testing ground for selling. People are consuming content. They're not buying largely off of those platforms. But the idea is I could at least test it.
0: Absolutely true. However, okay, what if you don't have 100,000 followers and you're just somebody who wants to pivot from, let's say, HR to someone who who wants to be in marketing or PR? That's a great
1: question. So we go back to the construct. Do I have transferable talents? The talents I have, mm-hmm. do they allow me to be good? in, what did you say? Was it PR?
0: Anything, PR. Okay, marketing, let's say whatever. PR.
1: Great. So I was in HR, and I'm going to, go to PR marketing. So I'm going to go. Do I have the the raw talent? Um, what are transferable skills from HR to PR or whatever to marketing storytelling? And uh, so then I'm going to go. Okay, got the baseline talent. No question, I can develop the skills. Now, where do I best do that? A lot of people think, well, I got to go back to school. It's garbage. Mm -hmm. You don't need a four-year degree to be good in marketing. But there's some great marketing courses you could take online that are very legitimate. I'd go do those instantly. Let's get after it. Mm -hmm. Early morning, late at night, let's go. Let's go get qualified. It's stage two in the seven stages we unpack in the book. So I'm going to go get qualified. So there's something I need to learn. And then there's something I need to do. Right. So now what experience do I need to move from HR to marketing? Well, in all reality, I might need to get an entry-level marketing position. That's a $30,000 pay cut, Ken. What do I do? Right. You decide.
0: Exactly. And there's also been a ton of, and you talked with us too. I'll mention this many times. When there's a lot of research and data backing that people's, people rather make much less money and do what they like to do versus just making a bunch of money
1: without question.
0: Right. And there's like a lot of, I mean, that's like mental health. We talked about mental health before, right? Oh yeah. Um, there's a huge, uh, the, the, the golden handcuff thing is, is a real, is a real thing and people would actually sacrifice that if they can actually do what they love. No question. Um, but what I wanted to say actually to what you were saying about the pivoting and reinventing yourself and you t- and again, you've mentioned this. I don't know what number it is in your seven step program, but the the connecting and yeah, stage three stage three okay yeah. so it's great segue it yeah just, so it, once I'm qualified yeah. while I'm
1: getting qualified by the way I'm getting connected because I can do that do both of those stages right at the same simultaneously time. yeah see that's where opportunities come
0: I, talk about it because you talk about the difference between connecting
1: and yeah. networking yeah I hate networkers. We all do. Mm -hmm. They're like vampires. You can see them coming. We've all been at networking events where you walk in and you put that stupid sticker on your (laughs) lapel and you feel like you're in a dating, like a speed dating gross thing. And I'll never forget the first one I went to. And I'm an extreme extrovert, folks. Like extreme extrovert. I love people. I can meet people anywhere. I'm down. I love people. But those events make me like clammy. And here's why. I walked in my first, I'll never forget. And this guy was like, hey, Ken. You know, Uh, you know, and he's all into me. And I'm like, man, this is great. This was a great decision. I'm glad I came here. This guy's, he's really into me. This is going to be a great relationship. And 30 seconds later, he's found out that I can do nothing for him. And he's immediately looking over my left shoulder. I'm burying my soul. And he's like, "Uh uh-huh. Yeah, uh uh-huh. And he's effectively leaving me for dead. He's bit into my neck, sucked whatever he could out of me. And then moves on. And I'm a heap on the floor and he's on. Was, it, so, was this
0: in LA? It must've been in no, LA. No, no, <laughs> it's kidding. in every city in America. Yeah, I know.
1: But you know, the, the reality is, is that networking is very selfish in nature. It is very, I'm looking to find who can help me. And there's a slight spirit change. The reason I, and I'm playing on words here, You know, some people take me so literally, I'm like, would you just listen to what I'm saying? You still have to get out and connect, but networking is very selfish in nature. I'm trying to figure out who can help me get here. And here's what I know fast forwards connections and opportunities. It is taking on the spirit of a student. I want to be a learner, not a, not a networker. And so when I go in and so, so let's take my daughter, Josie. She's 13. And let's say Josie wants to get into your space one day. I'm calling you. And I'm going to go, Jennifer, I'm sending Josie out. We're going to fly out. And I want Josie to spend an hour at lunch if you'll do lunch with her. And you're going to hopefully say, of course. And I'm going to tell Josie, and here's what I want you to do. I want you to have something to write with. And I want you to have questions prepared ahead of time. And I want you to feel like you're doing a research paper on Jennifer's career and how she got where she's at, because you're interested in doing that. And so I want you to sit with her and be a student. So she's going to have a posture of humility grateful to be with you. Thank you so much for doing this. She's going to be humble in that she's asking you questions to learn. She's looking for knowledge and wisdom, two different things. Knowledge is I'm looking for some facts and then wisdom. I got some thoughts here. I want your take on some of the things I'm thinking about. Now, here's what happens. Let's say that that happens without me. You're going to be so blown away by a young girl who seeks you out that way that she's not even going to have to ask you for connections because mm-hmm. you're probably going to go, Hey, there's a couple other, Friends of mine that I'm going to connect you with, and I think you'd be good to. You know what I mean? She doesn't have to sit there and go, Can I get a job working for you? Or will you hire me? Or will you tell this person? It doesn't have to be that gross. It just needs to be, I want to learn from you. Who else at the very end of the conversation? Who else do you think I need to connect with? Who else would be good for me to learn from? And most likely, you're going to be willing to help her. Now, you may hire her later. You may never hire her, but you never know where that's going to come back. And when we stack that kind of sponge mentality, like I'm just going to be a sponge, I'm going to be a sponge be a sponge. Oh my goodness. The opportunities that come to you and some of the opportunities that I've had, I mean, there's no business for me to be where I am right now, starting as late as I did at 33. Other than I was really, really good at connecting and learning and asking questions and never asking for favors. But I asked questions for knowledge. I asked questions for wisdom. That's extremely attractive. Successful people, by the way, I don't know if you found this, I think a lot of people are intimidated to approach them. But I found that successful people are like, come on in. The water's great. Right. It, yeah, I
0: think you're right. I think that I agree with you. I do think, I, I call it curiosity, right? Yes. It's just like, because and someone who's naturally curious, it's easier to connect with, with people like that because you're, not coming from, you're, you're coming from a place of like genuinely wanting to yes. like know something right. versus what's in it for me. You know, and that's why, by the way, I love this podcast. And this is why I I even do this podcast because I'm genuinely curious in knowing things about people beyond like the surface stuff. And I agree with you. I think most successful people, um appreciate that. So you don't have to be so overt and be like, hey, so what can you do for me? Right. But you know, I think interested being interested versus being very interested uh, is very important. Yes. Um and I agree
1: with you one hundred percent. And I, I love call that. it I call it being helpable. Helpable. Right. There's, there's a, there's a attractiveness to that. It's like, I want to help this kid.
0: Yeah. Or yeah, I want to, yeah, yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. like, I want
1: to help this person.
0: A hundred, I, 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 listen, I think it's a hundred, I, and I, I can't stand that idea of, of people like looking, and it happens all the time, especially where I live. But, you know, people <laughs> are always looking over someone's shoulder to see who's better to talk to, Ugh. who's better. It's like, a, it's gross. A
1: hundred percent. You know what I yes. mean?
0: And I think that there is a thing about water does find, it finds its level. Yes. You know, people it's gravitate good. to things that are similar in feeling. And if it's doesn't fit, then it doesn't fit. Oh, yeah. Right?
1: Oh, it's absolutely right. And, you know, being helpable, by the way, is also finding opportunities on your journey to help others. You never know where it's going to come back to hundred
0: percent, I There's agree There's a story
1: with that. I share in the book about a lady who to my dying day, I will forever. And every once in a while, I'll just send her a text and go, thank you so much. Uh, I was in Atlanta, I was the three kids, you know, and I'm trying to figure out how do I transition from you know this consulting business to full-time broadcasting? Can I even feed my family? This is tough, you know, and I'm trying to figure it out. And I was at a real place of pity. It was pretty pathetic, sitting around just like, I'm talented. Why isn't, you know what I mean, just like, it's pathetic. And the thought hit well, me. Well, it's not
0: pathetic. I think it's being oh, real. Oh, I was pathetic. But why? I mean, you're was frustrated. I'll
1: tell, tell you why. Because I was spending more time griping and complaining mm. instead of getting busy. And so I realized I had a little truth hit me one day, and it was nobody's sitting around thinking about how they can help Ken Coleman. <laughs> they got their own life. I'm serious. I mean, it's <laughs> that's, pa- that's what true. I mean by pathetic. Like, nobody's sitting around going, that Ken Coleman guy. Now, there's a talented guy. Let me call him up and just hook him up like this. But this is the mindset we have, right? We kind of sit around waiting for somebody to discover us.
0: It's entitlement a little bit It
1: is 100%, which is why I called myself out. You were very nice, but it was pathetic. I was having a pity party. I was the only person there, human Eeyore. (laughs) You know what I'm talking about? And then uh, I got serious and I walked in. I'll never forget. Pulled up my laptop and I looked at my Mac and I said, all right, I'm going to go through every contact if it takes me five days. And I'm going to see, do they know somebody that knows somebody in broadcasting? I just, it was old school. Like, let me just figure this out. And uh, several months before this moment of pity, several months before, I was running a sponsorship company for large live events. And a friend of mine called me and said, hey, uh, would you go to lunch with me and my friend Elizabeth? She runs a nonprofit. And she told me the mission of the nonprofit. I mean, it was like, this is amazing. Love this mission. She's like, would you do lunch with her? She didn't have any money. She can't afford you. But would you just help her out? get some sponsorship ideas going. Mm -hmm. It would be a favor to me. And I said, of course. So I go to lunch with Elizabeth, getting to know her, small talk. And in the early small talk, she mentioned that her family owned a radio station. And I I made note of it, but like it wasn't appropriate. And, you know, and I wasn't in that zone. I was helping her. So back, fast forward back to this day of pity. And for a couple months, I'd been calling local radio stations, just asking for a phone call back. And I said, I'll pay my way on, on a Saturday, Sunday, I will pay for an hour. I'm not asking you to hire me. Okay. Nothing crickets. So that day I come across Elizabeth Carswell's note. And I was like, she said that her family owned a couple of talk radio stations in this area. I wonder which ones they were. I didn't even ask. So I fire her an email instantaneously. Elizabeth. Now there's a point to the story. I said, Elizabeth, because you're going, where are you going with this? (laughs) Elizabeth says, I mean, I emailed, I said, Elizabeth, would you have five minutes for me sometime soon? She, five minutes later, hey, I'm in my office right now. I'm wide open, give me a call. So I call Elizabeth up, she answers right away. I said, Elizabeth, how you doing? How's everything going, you know, connecting? Uh, and I said, hey, during our lunch, you mentioned that your family has a radio station. What were they? She says them, and I immediately go, this is one of the stations I've been targeting. And I couldn't get any response. So I tell her, I go, hey, I'm willing to pay the, the station general manager is not getting back to me. Can you help me with him? She goes, Psh. She goes, I'm going to call my brother. He runs the station. I'll have you meeting this week. Fast forward, I get a meeting, I get on the air, I pay my way on. I do it for a year, year and a half. They loved my show so much, they put me on Monday through Friday during drive time, people coming home. All because, and here's the story I took an opportunity to help Elizabeth when there was nothing in it for me. And year, you know, months later, years later, that turned into the opportunity that got me noticed by Dave Ramsey. So I want people to understand. Oh, that
0: was how, that
1: was. Well, he knew me, but he, he started paying attention to my radio show. Mm. And when he listened to me for that, that's when he offered me the job. He was like, this guy can do live radio. And you see what I'm saying? And so.
0: Of course I see what you're saying. This is like, you're speaking my language. I could not agree with you more. Like also that, that just goes to show you that. In my opinion, again, this is my opinion, a lot of times it's not the people that you expect to be helpful to you that's right. that are the most helpful It's the people that you kind of like don't even like consider to be like an option. Like my, some of my best, that's why when you're saying this story, I was listening and smiling because some of my most, uh, incredible opportunities came from the most just arbitrary ways and from people that I barely even knew that yeah, I met one time that's right. that like was just like, it was, it was a blip in something yeah, else. Right.
1: But I would guess it was a, can I ask you, can I turn the tables on? Yeah, me? go ahead. Well, I'm, I'm guessing those were, they were, while they may have been quick interactions, they were wholesome. They were real. They always, were always very genuine. genuine. And so they had a positive feeling about you when you are reintroduced to them. Right. Or when you come back in their mind's eye, they go, Oh, that was good. I like Jennifer. See what I mean a hundred
0: percent. Like I never go into any situation um to as that networker, right? People are always like, oh, you're such a great networker. I, I'm like, actually, it's not because I'm a great networker. I think I'm a good connector. You are. Because I'm genuinely curious and interested. And yes. I'm not going into an opportunity thinking this is gonna be I'm not opportunistic no. about the opportunity. Not at all. Um and I don't know how you could I don't know how you teach someone not to be right. Cause yeah. if you it's hard to, I would
1: tell them this, just turn that opportunity gauge off
0: off, right, and
1: That's... just go in and learn. Okay. Like learn about them. Um, one of the pieces of advice I give my kids and I give to a lot of young people is anytime you get in a room, I early on in my career, Jennifer, I would get in these rooms, these big leadership conferences. And like, I'm in the room with Malcolm Gladwell, one of the smartest people on the planet. This is before I had the opportunity to interview him. And I go, I might get to meet him. And I would be that guy in the room who's smiling and all that <laughs> But underneath, I'm going, if I get a chance to say hi to Malcolm, I'm not going to say, Malcolm, hey, I love your books. You're a brilliant genius guy. Because he hears that all the time. Oh, right, right, I'm right. going to go, I'm going to say, Malcolm, how are you? Hey, let me ask you a quick question. And ask him a good question. that's simple. But is, he's good. And, and let me tell you, I started doing that. And next thing you know, I remember the first time I met him, he's talking to me for 20 minutes. Do you know why? Because I led with a question about a specific part in his book. And I said, hey, you wrote about this in Tipping Point. And I had a question about that. And I, before he could even, you know, he's like, I'm not, I mean, as much time as it takes to go, hey, I'm a big fan. I love your work and all that stuff. Uh, I, I'm asking a question from page 27. Or whatever it was. Absolutely. See, so here's the point I'm making. Always be learning. So even if it's not Malcolm Gladwell and like you get an opportunity to go somewhere and you know, you're in a room full of successful people. First of all, go find the white haired people. That's where I'm at. I'm always wanting to hang out with the old people. If I'm in any room of very successful people, I'm matriculating towards the old people because there's wisdom. There's wisdom there. And I want to talk to people that are 20, 30 years ahead of me because they've forgotten more about success than I know.
0: That's a great, great piece of advice.
1: I mean, it's gold, but you got to be willing to just be someone who's interested in them. You don't even know them. Just go up to them. Hey, how you doing? You don't know who they are. Next thing you know, they've like, you know, they're worth $300 million or $2 billion. I met a guy in an NBA game like this recently true story. Uh, So I got to tell you, so I'm in Phoenix, uh, doing business. Uh, the client says, Hey, we got a suite at the Phoenix suns game. You want to go? I'm big, you know, I'm big basketball. basketball So I'm like, yeah, I'm in. So he's like, we got a suite. So we go to the suite, you know, during the quarter breaks and halftime. And I immediately see this old dude walks up. He's got a plaid shirt on, tucked (laughs) in pleated pants, you know, and I'm like, this is my guy. That's who I want to talk to. So he walks up. Hey, how you doing? I'm Ken. What's your name? Start talking. How do you? How, you know, you know, that guy was a billionaire. Yeah, from families from Norway. He's third generation CEO of a commercial construction company, and the company's going to do seven billion dollars this year. And I'm like, you know, eating <laughs> a cheap hot dog, talking to this billionaire, all because I was willing to just go up and ask questions about him. Now I didn't ask him for anything. There's, you know, but you know what? He's like, what do you do? After I was interested in him, then the billionaire tells him, he goes, well, what do you do? And I tell him, he goes, you're kidding me. He goes, we really have a problem with engagement. We have a big problem with engagement in our company. He's like, says this, this guy, guy walks over, he says, this is our chief operating officer. Get Ken's information. Now, I don't know if I'm going to go speak for them. Consult- I don't know. But my point is, is that that's all, that's what I'm talking about. Yeah. When you're in the room Find the right people and just be interested. Don't or lead or with find you. Find the old people. Old people first, <laughs> and then interesting people. Be interested in them, because when you are interested in them, it is a very attractive quality, and then they will play tennis with you. Mm-hmm.
0: I that's I think that's I think that's exactly on point. I agree with you 100. Now this will kind of also segue into the other piece of the question, which is the proximity principle. Yeah, you got to put yourself in these situations to to win yeah. and to get this. Explain that, talk yeah. about it.
1: Yeah, so I came up with the proximity principle to, to to just help people understand the key to opportunity is strategic connection. We've been talking about it a little bit. The proximity principle says, in order to do what you wanna do, fill in the blank, you gotta be around people that are doing it in, in places where it is happening. I kind of touched on this idea, let's say my, wife, my, my daughter wanted to get into what you do. It's like, I'm gonna help her connect with women Uh, and men who are in that space because when she's around them, she is observing them. She's learning Mm -hmm. from them by asking good questions and um, people, the right people point us to the right places. And then interestingly enough, when we get in those places, we meet more of the right people. Mm -hmm. And so what happens is it becomes this cyclical process and it becomes a habit of, you know what? I don't have to ask for anybody really to help me, I just have to ask about knowledge, ask about wisdom. And when I'm around the right people, who are some other people that I need to get around? What are the places that somebody like me needs to be, and if I wanna win in this area? Oh, over here, over here, over here, online, this learning group here, whatever, whatever. And so when we do that, we realize that we are constantly being intentional. And so really it's a simple principle to teach intentionality. Intentionality about being around the right people and in the right places, and really does come back to, um, what is the most famous relationship study done ever by Harvard? I think it's in its 75th, 60 year. They've been following people from birth to life, Jennifer. It's fascinating. And the, now the head of the study, uh, I share this quote all the time on my show on stages. They've concluded that 95% of your success in any area of your life is directly related to the people you spend the most time with. Success or failure. Mm-hmm. So if you're failing in your physical life, I can just tell you without knowing you, you're hanging out with people that don't take their physical health seriously. Mm-hmm. If you're if you're stuck professionally, you're hanging out with other people that are stuck. I'm just gonna tell you. I can I, I don't have to know their names, I don't have to know their details. And so if we look at this truth at 95% of success or failure, is based on who we spend the most time with. You've got to spend time with the right people. Um, they set the pace for you naturally. If you're just hanging out with people that are getting after it,
0: you know it's funny. It's the same. Is that is that the same study? It's very similar. Probably like a sister again. But the five people that you hang out with the most is basically oh yeah, well like Jim complex, Rohn, yeah. Jim Rohn,
1: the legendary. He kind of said that, but this is actual. Like this is Harvard's data. They studied people's entire lives, and they're like any year of your life, success or failure it's directly related to the people you spend the most time with. So it could be five people, it could be two people.
0: That's a really amazing, well, think about I like it. that. Yeah. And I think it's very valid. And Whew. if you really, if I, I'm thinking about it right now in my life. Yeah. Right. Like, I think that's a great, I, I think that's a yeah. really interesting. Study. I mean, if you,
1: if you're negative, I'm gonna tell you right now, spend time with some positive people. You know what I mean? Like I'm just if you're a naturally negative person, uh, you lean that way. It's okay. That's but so true. Hang out with some positive people and watch how your your mentality will change. Um, if you're a victim type thinker, you always think, you know, then then because oh, so I'll be really transparent. Because of my life and my journey, I have an edge on my shoulder. I really do, and I use the edge properly. I've, but I've been to therapy about it.
0: What kind of edge do you have?
1: Uh, just being overlooked and rejected. You know, just because I was the littlest guy on the basketball court. No, I'm, I'm saying like, there's know, a no, pattern I, I, of this, I, I, you know, like, um, um, you know, it, it, just, you know, like people not, um, uh, I've, I've, when I got into broadcasting, I mean, I had a guy tell me in Atlanta, you don't have the talent to make it in a number 10 market. You know, I'm an adult that hurts, you know, now I'm nationally syndicated and I host co-host the second largest radio show in America. I got the talent. I knew I did, but It hurt. And I believed him for about three weeks.
0: Did the edge come from when you were a kid, though? You said yeah. when you were playing yeah. basketball? Yeah, or also my then? dad.
1: My relationship with my dad, too, who I love and have a great relationship. But there's, there's a chip there, right. you know, because I wasn't a good student. So I'm the kid with ADHD who didn't need medication. You who, didn't go on medication? No. Good, Yeah. I, that's a whole nother podcast. I'm that's not That's a gonna, whole
0: other podcast I know. And I don't want to hack
1: anybody off who's actually diving into this much more helpful content. But but my point is, is that I, I thrived in subjects that I was really good at. Hello, this is humanness, not Kenness. Uh, but my dad was a straight A student, honor society, you know, full ride to Michigan, you know, that kind of guy. What did he
0: do for a living?
1: Well, he ended up going into ministry and pastoring, which is why I love people so much. But he was an engineer. He was on the path to be an engineer. Yeah. It became a pastor? Totally switched gears. Yeah. That's a whole nother conversation. But the point is, is like my dad was tough on me because I was a terrible student. And you're not going to amount to much. You're going to pump gas, blah, 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 blah. And so they created an edge because I never believed him.
0: You didn't? No. I, I thought you were going to say the opposite because usually. The, no, the, the, that's the, the what finishing. developed the chip though. Right, I'm going to show you. It's going. I'm going to show you. But It's there's like an insecurity that kind of is is very built much so in there. Right? It's
1: underneath the chip. It's
0: underneath the chip, like that. Am I good enough?
1: Hundred percent. Right? And
0: and like I am going to like prove that I'm good enough.
1: A hundred percent. And I so mean, you'll
0: stop at nothing to prove that you are good enough.
1: I'm very much that way still. I mean, now I've been in therapy over it, and I'm very aware of it, and I'm much healthier than I was. But at 47, I'll be 48 this summer. I mean, you know, look, I'm still at little boy who now the chip can be good so my therapist said don't get rid of the chip just be much more aware of the chip the chip's good but let's not bring the chip out all the time (laughs) does that make sense yeah let's keep that but listen tom brady's got a chip the greatest football player of all time who's drafted in the seventh round you know didn't even play much at michigan you know so most people michael jordan had a chip what i
0: was most Super successful people. I think there's been a bunch of through lines that I've noticed in my life, in my business life, on the podcast life of all, most of the people I've met who are like really successful. I'm talking like next level, like disruptors in the world is because they had a chip on their shoulder, but they used it as fuel. They That's use right. their pain for fuel That's right. to push through it and become like just winners in
1: life. That's exactly I mean, right.
0: I think in a way people need that. I, I think like the edge that you're saying or that type of like, uh, situation, uh, really actually works to people's advantage, not disadvantage.
1: I agree. I absolutely agree. And
0: I see people even now like I, I who, have had, who have just like a, a stellar life, they're, they have no problems, like, they, they've got tons of money, they're beautiful, and there's like something missing. There's like a vapidness. And when you don't have to like work super hard for something, it's very, very hard to, th- to really, really like yes. thrive and succeed and be like hungry
1: and gritty. See, see there's no purpose the, in that. It's full circle. That person has that person has no purpose. They they, they There's no why. Andre,
0: no, they didn't have to work for it. They didn't have to like prove
1: it. That's my point. There's no right. pain associated. Right. With there's
0: it. no pain. Like I think pain like, equals. Uh... I think pain
1: equals purpose. Well, that's absolutely right. How can it not color the way you see the world? Your pain automatically connects you to a lot of people in this world who've been through similar pain. That's why, again, you see so many people that do great things and you dive into their story and it goes back to a point in their life where where they were either in pain or somebody they love dearly Mm -hmm. was dealing with pain. So many people that are in counseling. Um, either went through tremendous stuff themselves, tremendous trauma mm-hmm. and overcame it, or they saw a loved one go through trauma and they go, I, I want to help right. there. And so it's very pain oriented. I, I think it's impossible to not see some level of discomfort or pain in any true why statement, a purpose statement with anybody. It's just, it's impossible. We as humans, we can't help our humanness, this desire to step up and help. It's what's great about our world. Like we can be so divided, which we are, and then September 11 happens or some other major crisis and we put aside faith, politics, and whatever other, you know, nuclear bomb that creates conversations with people. And we go, you know what? It's time to step up and help people. Right, and then step up. So there you can't for the person who's searching. I get back to those three simple questions, Jennifer, because it really is enlightening. Who do you most want to help? What problem do you want to solve? You know, what's the solution or what are the multiple solutions? And therein lies the freedom. Cause you can come at there's that that back to that idea mm-hmm. that there are multiple dream jobs. Right.
0: Or soulmates or yeah. One Quite last question. I mean, maybe like second last or last, <laughs> depending on how long the answer is. Okay, I'll be quick. No, no, no. Just be concise. Yes. Uh, not for me, just because I don't want the, I don't want people to tune out because they're like, oh, oh, I'm at my I'm at the restaurant. Yeah, I gotta, yeah, like, yeah, right, you know, right, right. Um, how do people stick with whatever they are? I think mm. you were saying earlier you're a great starter, but you are a terrible yep, finisher, finisher yep. Uh, which is interesting because I think people that's a lot of people's problem, right? They start something, they don't finish, they lose patience, Mm. they lose direct, they they lose focus, and that's when things go to to hell in a handbasket. I actually think that's one area that's very important to kind of follow through and see through, Mm -hmm. right? Um, How how do you tell people, what do you tell people of how they can kind of
1: go the long haul? Yeah, stay with it. Yeah, so on that starter side of things, I'm great at finishing things that I really, really love. Yes. So I've got to start the right thing. Yes. And therein lies the discipline.
0: Um, but what I will say is, discipline's a big part of it, actually. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Um,
1: but you know where the discipline comes from?
0: Um, passion. From passion.
1: Yeah. I, I just, I, the, the disciplined person who works out, yeah. passion is what fuels the discipline.
0: Or it's uh, also, res, I'm result oriented also. And yeah. also, I also believe in delayed gratification. Yes. I think you go through the pain or you go through the like, bad stuff to get to the good stuff. I don't actually love working out. I actually despise it now. So I'm ah, so over it. Right. And I'm, I, you know, so it's
1: very missional then instead of passion, it's mission. It's it, the was, end it, result. it
0: was passion for so many years. Right. And then what's happened is now it turns to mm, like, when you're, when you're really, really busy, but I need to do it because on the other side, I love the feeling. I love the focus, being more alert, being more, right. it's I do it more for the mental aspects than for the physical aspects, right. but you got to go through that like right. annoyance in life. I'm not fit. The fitness is just an analogy. Yep. I don't always hate it. I'm saying there's days when I just don't want to go through it. Sure. Obviously I don't hate it daily, but but you have to like do it anyway yep. because of the
1: results. Yeah. So you started, you really kind of led to the answer to your question. How do you stay with it? So it's about the desired future. You just beautifully kind of laid it out for yourself and what it looks like for you. It's your desired future. What's your desired future? In other words, what's the pinnacle? Sir Edmund Hillary is known as probably the greatest adventurer in the world. First man to climb Mount Everest. Oh, and by the way, he wasn't done. Then he goes on to be the first man to go to the South Pole and the North Pole.
2: Mm -hmm.
1: So what, what drives a guy like Sir Edmund Hillary? Well, he's no different than the rest of us. So the key to staying with it, Jennifer, is simply put, I never lose sight of the mountaintop. Never. I, I have to show up in the grind, mm-hmm. but I always am glancing. I know why I'm doing what I'm doing. What am I really going after? What is that desired future? Mm-hmm. What does it look like for you? And when we grab hold of that, and it is rooted in purpose, right? I really believe the talent, passion, mission, formula allows you to get a really clear why. And what keeps you staying with it is the desired future. So, we write about it in the book. Hillary gets to the top of the mountain. He's with his Sherpa climbing partner and they take pictures and they put things up there and not moments after that, he sees another mountain range and he says, that's the one we climb next. So what I love about the seven stages in the book, it really answers your questions. When we get to the dream job, the sixth stage, we don't get a glass of tea and head out in the hammock. <laughs> we, our view changes because we've been going up the whole time and now we get to the top of the mountain, our view changes. Now we're looking out. And there we see another mountain we climb and there we keep evolving. And So we stay with it because we're continually evolving and growing. That's the answer. Mm-hmm. And so it's still rooted in why it's just a different mountain. You know, what keeps Coach K and John Wooden and these coaches that have, you know, coached for so long and, and, and they stay in it so long after they've achieved everything? Well, there's another new challenge and they find another new challenge. It's still on purpose, but effectively it's another mountain to climb. And so when we have that mindset and we, the final stage just for the audience in the book, stage one is get clear, stage two, get qualified, stage three, get connected, stage four, get started, stage five, get promoted, stage six, get the dream job. The seven stages, give yourself away. I chose that wording very, very purposefully because this is the idea where we've achieved the point where we're not working for income any longer. We're no longer working for accolade, Mm -hmm. we're working for legacy. In other words, fingerprints we left behind. When we leave this earth, could they tell that we were here? And to me, that's give yourself away.
0: Uh, Can I ask you one more question? You can ask me as many questions as you want. Okay, so would you, just to sum this up, what would you say is the, besides the pride, besides the fear Mm -hmm. and all this other thing, Would you say that is the reason why most people are not successful? Or what would you say is the number one reason why most people are not successful?
1: Yeah. um, I I think it's a lack of awareness that they, what they can be. I, I think fear and doubt and pride are underneath that. But I really, that's why I've committed my professional life to helping people discover what it is that they can do and what it is that they should do. Right. The um,
0: should is, is the is should is
1: key. And the should is very personal. You know, greatness lies within uniqueness. There's a lot of people in our world, in our space, that they poo-poo passion. They don't know what they're talking about because they don't think about it in the right context. Remember, I didn't talk about passion being enough. Now, I it's agree. It's talent, passion, and mission, all three. But the reason most people, by the way, this is one of the best questions I've ever been asked. Nobody's ever asked me this. And I'm so excited about it. It is the reason most people don't find that thing and that fulfillment, and they get to their deathbed. By the way, one of the top five regrets of of people that are in hospice is I didn't chase that dream. And the reason they don't is because they were never aware of it. We don't teach this stuff in schools. What we do, and I'm not knocking and banging on parents, but there is this, and I'm, I'm speaking about the American psyche here. I can't speak to other countries.
0: I'm Canadian, so I'm not offended.
1: Yeah, I don't don't know what it is in Canada. I would suggest it's probably close. but what do we do? We prepare kids for a safe job and a safe life. 100% true.
0: I think people get, what I was saying about the shoulds before was that people get stuck in the shoulds. I should be going to law school. I'm Jewish. I should be going to med school. (laughs) I should be doing this. I should marry the Jewish doctor. That's just, you know, that's just my my stuff. But what I'm saying is we all get stuck in the safe shoulds that we are, that our culture, our society tells us and i think that is detrimental is. to people's happiness yep. because they really are afraid that's what people really are
1: afraid of 100% but they they don't know what a great future could look like they don't. What, uh, you know here's i say this all the time on social media it's by far my most popular post the american education system is creating test takers not pathfinders mm-hmm. we don't teach kids to to find their path we teach them to get a degree so they can get a good job Blah. Nobody wants that. What is Jennifer's unique contribution to the world? That is so true. That's what I want to teach.
0: Well, uh, to that point, what happens again, I, in my experiences, is that if you're not a good test taker, then you think you're stupid. Me. And then you act as, because then you believe that. And to me, that's the the kiss of death. When people believe and think that they're stupid because they weren't good at school or they weren't good test takers. And that's... That's the beginning of the end. Yeah. And that's where the trajectory yeah. like takes yeah. a really bad let me, term. Let me just
1: tell you, let me set some people free. Maybe some parents will set you free today from a former straight C student <laughs> and college dropout. <laughs> me
0: up. too. Oh, I was not a college dropout. Yeah,
1: up, I mean, but I left to go yeah, work no, in no, I
0: answered. But here's, I, I, yeah. Yeah,
1: here's the deal. Answering questions is not the great skill of life. Asking questions is the great skill of life. You and I have been talking about this whole time. You mentioned curiosity. The great thinkers, the great doers, the great inventors, the great leaders always ask questions. Martin Luther King Jr. dared to ask different questions. Albert Einstein dared to ask different questions. You know, so the reality is, is that um, back to the question you asked, because it was so profound. Most, It's not fear. It's not doubt. It's pride. Those are underlying issues. The issue is we know where the stars and the moon, we know about the planets, we know all these things. But I think the thing that we know the least about is ourselves. Because I don't think we're taught to truly discover our uniqueness. And it is in our uniqueness, Jennifer, that greatness lies. People are trying trying to chase greatness. I got news for you. You will not achieve greatness, whatever that looks like, until you Discover, and this is the key, embrace your uniqueness. Every person on the planet was born at a unique time in history with a unique combination of talent, passion, and mission, and a unique audience that they were put on this planet to contribute to. That's what I believe with everything in my being. It is uniqueness that we must discover, and then greatness can happen. But we, we, we've we got it all twisted.
0: I like it, leave it at that, that's perfect. Done. That's perfect, okay guys. This is, uh, this is Ken Coleman. His book is called From Paycheck to Purpose. Dun, da, da, da. If you are watching this and not listening, that is the book right there. Uh, you are great. And Thank you. You're welcome. And I I really, I, I love that you came on this podcast.
1: I'm thrilled to be here. This is fun.
0: Now, I, where do people find you? I know yeah. you're part of, he's part of the day. I think we mentioned it briefly. He's part of the Dave Ramsey Network. Yeah. You have a radio show. Yeah. You're on YouTube. Yeah.
1: KenColeman.com.
0: KenColeman.com. It's the easiest
1: because they can see where the podcast, the show is wherever you get podcasts. We're on YouTube live every day. Uh, Sirius XM, uh, the business channel. Uh, I believe that's one thirty-two, uh, And then they replay me every morning, bright and early, if you're a uh, serious listener on Channel 111. And then uh, 75 radio stations and uh, wherever books are sold. But KenColman.com, we have a lot of free resources that we give to people to make some progress. Uh, so a lot of fun stuff there. And we'd love for folks to engage. Thanks, Ken. Thanks for having me.
0: Thanks for being here. So much fun. The ditto a mutual
2: <laughs> bye habits and hustle time to get it rolling stay up on the grind don't stop keep it going habits and hustle from nothing in the something all out hosted by jennifer cohen visionaries tune in you can get to
1: know them. be inspired this is your moment excuses we ain't having that the habits and hustle podcast powered by habit nest